This morning, Good Friday, we traditionally remember the cross of Christ. And I'm going to share with you a narrative from one of the Bibles, from, uh, from one of the Gospels, sorry, the Gospel of John. I'm going to share a, quite a large narrative of the resurrection from you that you may have heard before. Um, make no apologies for that. Uh, we'll read a good 30 verses. It will come up on the screen. You can follow it in your Bible as well if you'd like to do that. And we're going to look at this, the, the narrative of the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and then we're going to just draw out two or three things that we can learn from that, that we can reflect on today, and how we can respond to that appropriately on Good Friday. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn to John 19, starting at verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, How, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing them out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know I have the authority to release and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greatest sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place they called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription And put it on the cross, it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the King of the Jews. But Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus... They took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it and see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. 
So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and a disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is God's word. A lot of things we could talk about when it comes to the narrative of the crucifixion. I mean, I mean Jesus stood before Pilate, and, and when he, Pilate handed him over to the Romans, it, they beat him. The passage says they flogged him. So severely, that actually some men would die at the whipping post. That beating was so severe, some men they wouldn't even make it to the crucifixion. Then they made him carry his cross, bleeding, before he was even now to it. Crazy, isn't it, how sometimes we have to carry things bleeding. If you've had to experience, when you've got heavy weight, you're bleeding. You read this story and they humiliate him, they ridicule him, they they mock him, they tear his garments, they put a crown of thorns on him, he makes him carry his own cross. And I read this passage and the only thing that doesn't seem to fit into me in this passage, the only thing that doesn't seem to make sense is is his tunic, his robe, his garment. Everything else in the story is bruised and tattered and, and, and beaten and worn, but this robe, John feels the need to tell us in this passage, he chooses to give us the detail that this was a seamless robe. It was hand-woven, top to bottom. Probably made with care and affection, valuable. Maybe, there's no real basis, but maybe it's made by his mother, maybe handmade by someone that was dear to him, made him this tunic. I mean, the Roman soldiers, they, they weren't the religious type. Crucifixion was a bloody business, but it was just another day at work for them. They didn't see any particular difference with Jesus. They weren't the sentimental kind of people. And one of the perks of the job, actually, was you got to divvy up the garments amongst yourselves. That's one of the perks of the job. Oh, we get to split some of the things of the people we crucify amongst ourselves. They didn't see Jesus as anything other than another job. And so while Jesus is there, the Son of God, suffering... And dying on the cross for the sins of all humanity, they're a few yards away divvying up his garments. The only thing they saw valuable about Jesus dying, the only thing was his clothes. And when it came to his garment, I mean, that was fine. It was maybe something you'd expect a rich person to be wearing, maybe royalty, maybe a, a lord. Oh, it was this fine garment. And so the question is, what was Jesus doing, this battered carpenter's son? What was he doing? With it. The text tells us that Jesus had five bits of clothing. Because it says they divided up four pieces among themselves. It doesn't tell us what they are. Maybe sandals, maybe a belt, maybe an inner tunic, maybe a head wrap. There's four things. They, they were happy to divide those things up. Yeah, we'll have one each. But when it came to the tunic, the thought of tearing it up in four, they said, no, we've we got to draw lots for this one. This is valuable to us. I don't know how much attention you've ever paid to that line in that passage. I usually have probably skipped over it. There's actually a preacher this week. I heard you just 
drew my attention to this robe. And I kind of studied it a little bit this week. I mean, Jesus had to give up the robe for what he had to do. And, and these soldiers, they were careful with that robe. They could see it was valuable. And you wonder, how could they be so careful with this robe and so brutal with him? They thought nothing about tearing out his flesh. They didn't want to tear a robe. They didn't care about piercing his hands and feet to a cross. We're now so big that the sight of them would make you shudder to think about those going through your hands and feet. They didn't care about doing any of that and breaking his leg. They didn't want to tear a robe. They remind me of Joseph's brothers, obsessed with this robe. It's almost like they thought the favor was in this robe. It's funny, isn't it? The favor is never what is on you. It's never in the things. The favor, in what he was, the favor was what he was going to do. It was what was in him. It's what's in you. He's obsessed with this robe. Maybe it was made by his mother, like I said. Like Hannah would make for Samuel. I don't know if you've read the book of Samuel, but it reminded me of 1 Samuel 2.19. When he was a little boy, it says, And his mother used to make him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up to, uh, with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now, I mean, there's no scriptural evidence that it was Mary who made it. It's just where it took me. And it got me thinking that Jesus had this robe made for him as he went himself. Not to be the yearly sacrifice. Now, a yearly sacrifice was a custom that they made, that they did each year. Someone would go up and make a sacrifice for the sins of that. You know, Jesus wasn't going to make a yearly sacrifice. He was going to be the sacrifice. An all-atoning, everlasting sacrifice at that. I mean, clothing in the Bible is significant, isn't it? In our society, clothing is significant. Quite often we use clothes for statements. You see them in religious, political, social statements. Quite recently, the Oscars have gathered some news because they all wear certain dress to make a statement. We wear things maybe on our lapels and things like that, blaze to make a statement. Clothes are significant. Weddings, we... Traditionally, the bride will dress in white, a symbol of purity. Funerals, we will often wear black, a sign of mourning. Clothes are important. And when you think about this passage, it's not just that robe. Think about the purple robe. It says they shoved on Jesus. A colour of royalty, purple was known as. A colour of royalty. So you've got this tattered old purple robe they throw on a, a bloody and beaten Jesus. Saying, oh, you want to be king of the Jews? Here, you can be the king. Have a purple robe. And they put a crown of thorns on his head, mocking him as if he's a king. You want to wear a crown? Have a crown of thorns. Big thorns digging his head, blood dripping down his face. Clothing is significant. You know, I even think about other... I think about Jesus' robes throughout the story. He loved talking about robes. The story of the prodigal son I was reminded of even yesterday. He comes, he puts a robe on him. That's what he does. Bleeding woman, desperate just to touch his robe. Why do we feel the need to talk about these robes? I mean, the robe, we know, it fulfills scripture. It tells us that in the text. In verse 24, the fact they don't tear his robe is a fulfillment of an Old Testament passage, Psalm 22, 18. I'm not going to go into it, but I encourage you to read it this week. And you will, you will marvel at it, how many prophecies are fulfilled through that text written hundreds of years before Jesus. It's an amazing passage. And it says that there will be a day when they gamble for his garments. And it's funny because Jesus' enemies 
unknowingly, they don't even realise that they're playing part in God's sovereign plan for Messiah. They don't, re- they don't realise that's what they're doing. But actually, by, in being his enemy, they are helping fulfil God's redemption plan. Let's have a closer look at this robe. I just want to say a couple of things. First thing is, it was seamless. That's what it tells us. It was seamless. not a rough spot in it. Not a blemish. It was perfect. A bit like Jesus Christ, who was not seamless. No, he was sinless. Isaiah 53, a familiar passage may be. That he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. It was our sin and our mess that he died for. Not his And this seamless robe reminds me of my sinless saviour. Top to bottom, not one seam, not one blemish. I mean, even Judas, the man who betrayed him, he he knew it. He said, I've betrayed innocent blood, he realised. I mean, Pilate said it time and time again, I find no fault in this man. He'd done nothing wrong. They knew that he was faultless. Everyone knew it. You know, Jesus didn't only lay aside this seamless robe at the cross. No, it says that he laid aside his righteousness. And he took upon himself our robe of filthy rags. He took upon himself the sins of humanity. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, He made him who knew no sin. Simon shared it in his spoken word. He made him who knew no sin to become sin. He literally took sin upon himself that we may become the righteousness of God. He took on our rags. Galatians 3, 27 says, clothe yourselves with Christ. It says, put on Christ. It's like a robe. We put on his righteousness because he put on our rags. You know, think about every sin we've committed. It was our sin that held Jesus to the cross. It was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. For hours he hung between heaven and earth, naked, exposed. You can ignore the artwork that you see. A loincloth. No, they told us that they divided his garments up. His garments were gone. It was most likely he was there hanging naked on the cross, exposed for your thoughts, your words, your actions, your deeds, the things you've done, the things you'll do, the things no one else knows about. In that moment on the cross, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the anger of God, our sin was all poured out on his own son. He laid aside his seamless robe of righteousness and put on our rags of sinfulness. Why? So that we may be reconciled with God. So the Father will look on us and not see our mess and our rubbish, but he looks on us and he sees the glorious righteousness of his own son. I mean, back to the Romans. Have you ever forgot about them? I mean, the Romans, they just couldn't see it. They just couldn't see the value of what was before them. It was like their, their vision was misplaced. They wanted this robe, this temporary thing, this earthly thing. That's what they were. It was a distraction to them. If they had any idea what mattered. Imagine if they could come back in bird's eye view now and look at themselves. They would think, what were we doing? They had any idea what Jesus was doing. On this Good Friday, you know, because the Romans, they're not the only ones who sometimes forget the value of the cross. Sometimes we can be just as guilty. I'll ask you on this Good Friday, what are your distractions? What are the things that you're obsessing with? 
What are the things that seem shiny and beautiful to you? What are the things that take you away from the cross? What are the things that you th- you're so careful with? The, the things that you know won't last. The things that you're putting your time and your effort and your investment into. Things that don't matter. Things that will perish. What's taken you away from the cross recently? What's pulled you away from the cross? Maybe it's your sin. Maybe your sin has brought you away from the cross. Has brought you away from God. We have an opportunity to, to respond. I mean, this morning again, this morning we come to the cross. Will you see the value in the cross this morning? The Romans didn't realize that there was room for them at the cross. You know, the common thief realized on the cross next to Jesus. He saw and he just realized, man, he saw the significance of what was going on. He said, no, I, want to be, I see it, I want to be with you. He knew he wasn't worthy. He knew that he was ashamed of things. He'd had stuff, but he said, no. And Jesus said, there's room for you. Moments before he died, literally moments before he died. Listen, he recognized Jesus. He said, no, I'll see you again in the kingdom. You know, maybe you think, oh, I can't. I've been hurt, I've, I've been damaged, I'm spent, I've watched this, I've seen this, I've said that, I've done this. I've done too much, I've got things going on, I, I can't be fixed. Listen, Jesus died on the cross. He dealt with it, he said he paid it all. Bring it to him. You know, when we decide to follow Jesus, when we repent and turn to Jesus, we bring our stuff to the cross, we bring our sin, we bring our mess, our worries, anxieties, our difficulties, we, we just bring it to the cross, our baggage. We bring them. Not, we don't just do that once. Oh, I did that once 20 years ago. No, we, we do that daily. We bring our stuff and say, God, thank you for the cross. And so in fact, I'm going to invite Phil just to come up now and... Because actually what I would really like us to do, as we think about bringing our stuff to the cross, you'll have noticed on your chairs this morning, there's some, some small tags. In fact, I'm going to ask the welcome team to, to begin to hand out some pens as well. You'll have noticed there's some parcel tags on, on your chair. And, and in fact, what I want you to do, as you receive a pen and they get passed down the aisle, let's hope we got enough. A little bit busier than we expected, praise God. With a pen, I want you to write down the things that you need to bring to the cross again this morning. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. Write it down. Maybe it's your anxieties. Maybe it's things you... What's your robe this morning? Maybe it's the things you've been obsessing over. And you, you, your gaze hasn't been on Jesus. Saying, oh God, this morning, I'm putting that back at the cross. And I'm coming to you. Maybe it's sin you've been living with. Maybe that's that thing you've been continually doing. You just can't seem to stop it. You've almost just accepted it as a part of who you are. No, bring it to the cross this morning. Because Jesus died for it. He died for the cross. He has power over it. Sometimes we can get caught up in this stuff. Oh, people might see what I write. Let's forget all that rubbish. Jesus died on the cross. So what I'm going to ask you to do, even now, you know, it's, it's funny, you haven't got to go into detail, you've not got to put your name on it. God knows what you're doing, it's like a symbolic thing, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to the cross again, you know. So I, so I don't, he doesn't care what you did or who you did it with. 
He doesn't care how smart you are or how good you are or how, uh, how you don't think you're very smart. He doesn't care what your CV is or, or what your resume is. He doesn't care how much money you got or don't have or where you're from or where you're not from. There is room for you this morning at the rugged cross. Take your stuff. Jesus was now to it. Let's go and nail our stuff to it. There's pins up at the desk just there. Whenever you're comfortable, Phil's just going to play over us and we'll begin to worship in a moment. But as you feel led, walk to the cross. Put your stuff on it. Pin it to it. Bring your stuff in and we'll come back and we will worship God. Thanking him for the cross again. I'm going to pray and as I do that, feel free to begin to move to put your stuff on the cross. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you would send your son, Jesus. We're so grateful... God, that you dealt with it all on the cross, that this old rugged cross that your son hung on, Lord, you paid it all. God, there's no sin too heavy for you to carry, no sin too big for your cross to bear. And so, God, we come before it now. We do. We bring our stuff again to you, our anxieties, our worries, our thoughts, our sin, our mess, our baggage. God, we bring it and we nail it back to the cross and we say, God, will you be the center of our lives? In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.